again, everybody. We are here. Uh, I'm just want to get right to the teaching today. Happy Father's Day. Today I'm going to be speaking to the men, but not just to the men. But I do want to talk about an important role that you play. This is the, the second teaching in our series on prayer. And so we're going to be talking about prayer part two. And uh, I, want, I want us to talk about the responsibility that we have a little bit more and the privilege that we have. And so let me speak to the men from my heart for just a moment. I, I think that as a father myself and now a grandfather, as a husband for 31 years, as a, as a brother, uh, all these different male roles in the life. Let me just say this to you. I believe that prayer is absolutely one of the most, if not the most critical, important, valid activities that, that we can participate in. Men, hear me. If we spend more time mowing the grass, we spend more time on social media, more time going to the ball game, more time coaching Little League, more time doing anything else, if we give other things positions in our life, that they, they don't belong there. We get the fruit of those things, not the fruit of, of the position. Let me just say it again. If prayer belongs in a preeminent or first or important role in your life, and instead of doing that, we listen to talk radio. Talk radio then, the fruit of talk radio in your life becomes obvious, but the fruit of prayer doesn't exist. If you don't plant the seeds, if you don't water the plants, there will be no fruit. And so today, if there was ever a teaching to men, this is for women, this is for youth, this is for college students, this is for fathers, this is for mothers, this is for everybody, but especially, hear me, men, you are sharing at this moment a title with God. God is known in Scripture through the teachings of Jesus as a father. God is sharing with men that have children the title of father. So this is no small light understanding. This is, a, this is an honor. To be a man, to be a father is an honor. To have the ability to approach God in prayer is an honor. You are the priest of a very small but very significant and important congregation known as your family. And so we're going to talk about your duty, your responsibility that we have to each other, but you have as a father that we have to each other in prayer. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14 and verse 12. We're going to get into some scriptures about just the extraordinary claims and teachings of Jesus about what prayer actually accomplishes. John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. Then I'll skip down to verse 18. Get your fingers in your Bibles. Here we go. Very truly, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Let me say that again. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified by the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What an extraordinary promise. Now, now take that, put your finger there, but skip down to verse 18 where it says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you. I'm, I'm leaving you, but I won't leave you as, as, a, as abandoned children. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So in the teachings of Jesus, think about this. I, we hear the claims, ask for anything in my name and I'll do it for you. Like, well, I've, I've asked for things and it hasn't happened. I, I don't know what to even ask for. Hear me. When Jesus connects prayer to uh, orphanness. He, he, he's doing something that I think is, is brilliant for us to understand. If you and I, man, woman, child, okay, if you and I were not fathered, we were orphaned. We were not mothered. We were orphaned. We, we had no one that protected us, provided for us, blessed us, corrected us, disciplined us, loved us, were proud of us. If we didn't have that, then all we had was ourselves. 
And, and if you were uh, an orphan that lived for five years without, you had to care for yourself, you were abused by others, you were neglected, you knew what hunger was and cold was and what it was to be soaking wet in the rain, you'd never had a brand new pair of shoes, no one ever said they're proud of you, you'll begin to develop certain self-defense mechanisms for survival. Now, if you're a five-year-old, those mechanisms will develop to a certain place. But if you survive 10 years on the streets, there'll be other mechanisms. If you survive 15 or 20 years as an orphan, you'll survive uh, through the, these mechanisms being employed at greater and greater ways. So I want you to get this. When Jesus connects praying to orphanness, he's basically telling us this. Hear me, hear me. We're not going to be good at this at first. Like we're, we're going to have to learn how to trust our father who adopted us. We were all on our own. There was no prayer. There was no understanding. And then when we come into the family and all of a sudden we have a king for a father, it does take time to learn his voice it does take time to learn his wisdom. It takes time to develop trust. It takes time to develop discernment. Like, what does he mean? Ask for anything in my name and I'll give it to you. It's like, okay, I want a Bentley. I want it to drop out of the sky and boom, okay, there's no Bentley. Okay, prayer doesn't work. That's an orphan mindset. It's an ignorance mindset. It's a, an alienated mindset. It's a, I'm gonna manipulate God to get what I want. And I want you to hear me. Prayer is, is not just for getting stuff. Prayer is for knowing the giver. We're going to spend the rest of the time really dealing with that sort of a statement. Prayer is not just about getting stuff. It's about knowing God. And so the number one priority of prayer, honestly, it, it is just to know God. Listen, and I want you to just put, they're going to put it on the screen. Let me just get this in your head. Everything in the kingdom flows out of relationship with the king. Let me say it again. I'll say it over and over again today. Everything in the kingdom, all of our answers to prayers, all of the fruit of, of his spirit, all of the fruit of our lives because of his influence, everything in the kingdom, everything, everything flows out of relationship with the king. And so as we look into prayer, I want you to hear me. We're not, we're not, it's not a democracy. We're not voting for some stranger to represent us. We're approaching the king who's adopted us. We, we pray literally to the measure that we know God. Uh, the disciples, we watch them through the book of Mark especially where there's a big storm and they wake up Jesus all upset. You don't care. We're drowning. This boat's gonna flip over any minute and you're gonna walk on water but we're gonna die. Thanks for nothing. And he stops the storm. He comes back. He goes, no, no, this, this is about relationship. The storm showed you what isn't in you and the storm showed you what is in you. Those things need to change. You need to trust me more than the storm. I actually put you in this position or allowed this position so you could learn what to do. You, you learn to do what I would do because I won't always be here. So as I speak to storms, someday you'll speak to storms and, and I won't even be, you won't see me physically. I'll still be present, but you won't see me. You'll invoke my name and the wind and the waves will obey. What's happening? What's happening is this. We pray to the measure that we know God. We, we love to the, to the measure that we've experienced through prayer the love of God, forgiveness, generosity, kindness. These, these, are, these, are, these are words, these are verbs, these are nouns, but please hear me. They're more than that. We give what we've experienced. Now hear me, the, the experience is actually an invitation to a lifestyle. So experiencing forgiveness is an invitation to live forgiveness. Experiencing love is an invitation to live, to dwell in a lifestyle of love, experiencing the answers to prayer from a God that you know loves you and knows you, the God of the universe. There is no other God, and he says, you're my son. You're my daughter. 
I love you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're the head and not the tail. You're more than a conqueror through Christ. I mean, these are, these are the identity things, and the devil's trying to rob us from identity through misunderstandings of prayer. If God doesn't answer my prayer, then he's not good, and why have a father who's not good? Many of us already have, like, fathers that aren't good. So it's like, well, I, it's just one more disappointment and a, a male figure that disappointed me or neglected me or abused me. Hear me. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Knowing God... If, if, you, if no Bentley ever falls out of the sky, no blind eye is ever open, no waters of the Red Sea ever part, the most important thing you will get from prayer is him. If you go after anything more than him, um, you, can, you can mistake prayer for actually things like witchcraft. I'm gonna manipulate the spiritual realm to get what I want. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is first and foremost, everything in the kingdom Prayer is first and foremost about relationship with the king. So this is why knowing God is preeminent in Jesus' teachings on prayer. Jesus doesn't teach us how to get stuff from God. Jesus teaches us how to get God. I want to say that again. Jesus is not teaching us how to get stuff from God. Jesus is teaching us and modeling for us how to get God. Because once you get God, you get his stuff. But getting his stuff without getting God reminds me of Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 many will say to me on that day Lord Lord didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons and heal the sickness but it wasn't about using my name as the abracadabra of the magic show of your own fame using my name was supposed to be relational my father gave me his name and I'm using it now it, it your resume of works in my name it does not um, does not mean we have relationship Everything in the kingdom flows from relationship with the king. So um, this is why knowing God is preeminent. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus, you know, his disciples say, when we pray, it bounces off the ceiling and comes back and nothing happens. When you pray, everything changes. Would you teach us? Teach us how to pray. Jesus goes, okay, here we go. You ready? You, you should pray something like this. Our Father. Immediately he starts with relationship. Father, I don't know if you know how many names there are for God throughout the Old Testament, throughout the life of Moses and what Abraham called God, what Noah knew God as and what the prophets knew. And, you know, it's, it's always like Jehovah something, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. They're, they're getting glimpses of, of who God is and they're saying, oh, he's not just Jehovah, not just God. He's Jehovah, my provider. He's Jehovah, my healer. He's Jehovah, the one who fights beside me. He's Jehovah, my, my banner, my shield that I hold up. They're, they're learning more about who he is through what he's doing. And, and in this situation, Jesus kind of sums it all because he's not just this, this endless, powerful, distant being. He's our Father. And in doing that, he opens up this whole new revelation, this beautiful teaching of who God is. Father, hear me. It has to be more than a title. It has to be more than a position. It has to be more than just authoritative. Sergeant and father should be, those aren't the same thing. President and father. One speaks of position, speaks of authority. The other one speaks of relationship. A father is someone who cares for their child, their son, their daughter, their wife. A father is, is different. It, yes, it has all the authority. Yes, it has all the position, but it isn't primarily authority and position. It's primarily relationship. And then from relationship, authority and position express themselves. Father has to be the relational descriptor, and maybe that's too hard. Uh, father has to be exactly what describes your relationship. He is my father. Everything you know that's good about father, he is. Everything you know about father that's bad, he isn't. 
I don't know who hurt you, disappointed you. We all have earthly fathers. I'm an earthly father. And certainly there are, there are disappointing moments or we don't understand or sometimes we think our dad's an idiot, but then later on we have kids and realize the wisdom of our dad, whatever that is. I, just hear me. Father means so much more than we know, but everything you know that's good about father, trust me, it, God is that. Everything we know that's bad about father, disappointing, hurtful, God is not that. We, we can't overlap our earthly experiences with our heavenly father and make him pay for the sins that he didn't commit. But in this understanding, as we kind of grasp this today, hear me, Father means everything you hope it means, and it means so much more. So think about the statement, our Father, our Father. Now, and again, come back to this again. Everything in the kingdom flows out of relationship with the king. So let me, let me just give it to you now. The most important thing that you can do, man, woman, or child, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Easter Sunday, the most important thing you can do is to make sure that there is time, that there is always time set apart for just knowing your father. We're going to talk about moving mountains. We're going to talk about casting out demons. We're going to spend weeks in spiritual warfare. But how many of us understand if we get to the powerful stuff without getting to the powerful one first, it's very possible we end up in weird places. So we're going to start with not the powerful things. We're going to start with the all-powerful one. Because once we say prayer primarily is about knowing him, because everything in the kingdom is predicated on a relationship with the king, if we understand that, if we begin here, we will end in the right place. I promise you. If we don't end in the right place, we'll be heading in the right direction towards the right place. So let's, let's look at the prayer life of Jesus for a few minutes and just see, you know, what's, what's the right theology on prayer? Listen, everything Jesus did is the right theology. Jesus is the word, the, the doctrine, the understanding, the truth of God become flesh. It, he, he's not quoting it. He is it. He lives it. I give you my word, God says, and Jesus takes on flesh and dwells among us, John chapter 1, verse 6. So hear me. In, in the beginning of all of this, there's relationship with God. So making an appointment. Here's the, here's, the, here's the prayer life of Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus prayed early in the morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Early in the morning, to be alone for the purpose of prayer. Why? Why early in the morning? And I, I have some thoughts on this, and it might be beneficial to you, but I, I believe with all my heart that when our day begins with God, the rest of our day is blessed in a way that if our day doesn't begin with God, we, we have to kind of go out and do our thing and then kind of find our place, and we wasted all that time between getting the wrong trajectory and correcting the trajectory of our life. If the first thing that we do, if we get up, we grab our cup of joe, we go on the back deck and the birds are singing and we open our Bibles and we seek God's face. Do you understand what direction your life is, is pointing in? I, I have a habit of reading, um, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. I read a chapter of Proverbs every day that correlates to the date. So if it's the, the first of, of you know, July coming up here in a little bit, I'll be reading Proverbs chapter one because I want the wisdom of God. From there, I'm a part of a devotional group, an online devotional group that Jim Parkin, uh, the chaplain of Grand Blake Fire Department, uh, leads. And I, I'm a part of that. I'm reading with other people and we're making comments when we feel like God's speaking to us about something and we're encouraging one another. I do that. And then I kind of study sometimes things from the Gospels or things from Psalms or from the Epistles. But I, I spend that first time just getting my head wrapped around how good God is, how big God is, how loving God is, how kind God is, and then I turn on the news. 
<laughs> and then I have the meeting. And then I take the phone call, write the email, respond to the difficult situation. If I get up in the morning waiting for that difficult situation, if I get up in the morning and fill my head and my heart with the controversies of uh, the, 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 the principalities and powers of the air of this world, if, if my head and my heart get started in one direction, it isn't until I find pain that I correct my trajectory, go, I, I'm so uptight about something I shouldn't be uptight about, and then I come back to God. What if you start your day? By, by fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. This is why Jesus did this. He spent all night in prayer. Why? Because he had to spend all day with demon-possessed people. <laughs> you know? He's, he, he got up early in the morning. Why? Because everybody else was still asleep when he found that time. And I want you to take a good deep breath and say it with me. Time. Like God spells relationship, T-I-M-E. Man, I, time. Pray without ceasing. We talked about that last week from 1 Thessalonians 5. That, that time, just being with. We become like the people we spend time with. So taking that first moment and just saying, man, before I deal with my enemy, before I complain about my neighbor, before I dispute something in the court, before the phone rings and it's a problem, before good things happen, if my mind is framed properly on God and his kingdom and his kingness as my father in my life, it really doesn't matter what happens next, does it? because I've already set him upon the throne where he belongs in my life. Nothing is, he doesn't have to dethrone something. He started there. So now the news comes and he's still king. Now the phone rings, but he's in a place of preeminence. Now my enemy speaks. Now my best friend wants to have lunch. Jesus remains right where I placed him in my life. Not that he isn't on the throne already, but the throne of my heart. You're preeminent. Your priority, you are my king, and I'm here to serve you today. Wherever you send me, Holy Spirit, I will, I will walk in obedience because I would never interrupt the interaction of relationship. Everything in the kingdom flows from relationship with the king. I hope you guys are getting this. Um, look at some of the other places and times that Jesus prayed. Jesus, it says, prays in lonely places. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew, often, early in the morning, lonely places, all night, often withdrew, was his habit, they saw it commonly, to lonely places for the purpose of prayer. He would often, he would often go for a walk just for the purpose of finding some place where there was no one else, where there was no phone to ring, where there was no list of to-dos, where there's no appointment in five minutes, where he wasn't driving the car, listening to talk radio, and having his devotion time with God. I'm talking to somebody right now, right? And, and what happened was he would just go off. It's early in the morning, and, and the, the Orthodox Jews in those days had prayer shawls where they would, they would uh, you know, go around the tallits or the, the little fringes and so forth, the hem of their garment. There, there were certain clothes they wore for prayer. I used to have a prayer shawl, and I know the joy of walking into the desert in Phoenix, Arizona with the shawl around my neck. And it's, it's kind of strange, but it's not. It's kind of cool in the desert in the morning. And so I would just, I'd wrap up in that and be like a wrap up in his presence, and I would just be with Jesus. I needed a, an answer one time. We were trying to decide what we were going to do next, and it was a very difficult decision. The church that we were serving in on staff as youth pastors was splitting over a doctrinal issue. It was so sad and so terrible, and people were mad and confused and hurt and scared. And, you know, the, the split wanted me to go with them. The church that was splitting off of wanted me to stay and be their senior pastor. And this opportunity opened up in Prescott, Arizona. I didn't know what to do. So I grabbed my prayer shawl, and I grabbed a gallon of water. I went out to a state park, to a lonely place in my Nissan pickup truck. So I wonder I made it there because, never mind, just leave me alone. I crawled up into the woods, I leaned up against a pine tree. I put my jug of water on ice. I sat in the snow, 
And I said, God, I am here until you speak to me. I told my wife, I said, I don't know what to do. She said, well, well you have to make a decision. I said, I, I don't know how to make this decision. People that I love, two out of every three people that I love are going to be disappointed no matter what decision I make. She goes, well, then God is going to have to make that decision. How do, how do I let God make a decision? What do I do? I walked up into the woods that day. I told her, I won't be back until God speaks to me. I was there for maybe two or three hours. And, and I don't want to explain this to you, but one instant, it's not there. And the next instant, something has been dropped in my spirit. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. It wasn't like there was an audible voice, but it couldn't have been more real if it was. I knew exactly what to do. I, I wrote it down in my journal. I walked back to my truck, took a sip of the drug of the water, put it on the seat, drove home to my wife. We're moving to Prescott, Arizona because God said that's what we're supposed to do. See, that's, that's the kind of stuff that comes out of, of lonely places and early mornings and all nights without your phone on, without your to-do list, without the kids screaming, without, I gotta be to work in five minutes, driving a car, listening to talk radio. We don't squeeze, God. we squeeze God in, he's there. But let me tell you something, something happens when, when God isn't squeezed in, he's welcomed in as the honored guest of that hour, as, as the honored guest of that, of that minute or that day or that all night or that early morning or that lonely place. I am here for one reason, it's not to move mountains. It's to know the mountain mover. And if you've never done that, I, man, I, I was a youth pastor. Dean and I served for about 10 years. I served for 10 years. She served for eight years in youth ministry before, you know, we, we ended up coming here to be senior pastors. We aged out of it, I guess, to some degree. But we used to love taking kids out into lonely places in Arizona, swallow cactuses and rocks and Gila monsters and rattlesnakes and just not friendly places. But sometimes you'd find like a creek, Cottonwood Creek would come through and there'd be trees and <clears throat> just beautiful setting. So we, we were camping one time. I told the kids, listen, I want you to take your Bible and a journal, no electronic devices, because I guess back then it was, we didn't have any, but nothing to distract you. You're, and I want you to spend one hour to two hours with God. That's the assignment. No less than one, but you got to be back here because lunch starts in two hours with God. It was the morning time. It was still cool. You don't talk to each other, and don't ask God for anything. The purpose of the next hour to two hours of your life is not to ask God for something. It's just to be with him. And I, <laughs> Consistently. I even go so far as to say universally, when, when the hour was up, no one was back. And when the hour and a half mark came, maybe a quarter of the kids came back. And it was not at all uncommon that after two hours, I was still missing a quarter of my kids. And they'd come out of the, out of the woods, off the rock, and putting their feet in the river, wherever they'd found. I mean, I'm just starting to get worried about them a little bit. I'm whistling, hey, if you guys are still praying, come on back in. I'm starting to pray a different prayer. Like, God, I hope they didn't die because I have to tell their parents, and that cost extra on the church insurance, you know. So they, they'd come back, and just they'd be like, Wow. I mean, universally, that was, that was amazing. I didn't ask God for anything. I sat there for half an hour going, this is stupid. Jim's an idiot. And then I finally got quiet. And as I said, as I got quiet, I, something began to happen in my heart, like, like joy and peace and him. Like, like God filled me in that time. I didn't ask him for anything. I just sat there. And they come back with journal, like pages filled from what God said to them, not what they said to God. And this, there's, there's a time for us to ask God. This is not a, an, a binary, you should be this and never that teaching. The teachings that Jesus does on prayer are not binary that way. But please, I mean, we've got to start landing the plane. But hear me, there's something to praying and not asking for anything that opens the door for everything. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. I could go so far as to paraphrase that. Seek first him. And then you'll want his kingdom. You'll, you'll, you'll enjoy his righteousness, right? So, 
Man, delight yourself in the Lord, guys, and, and he's going to grant you the desires of your heart. Notice that in that, in that phrase, delighting yourself in the Lord, and he'll grant you the desires of your heart, there wasn't an asking for anything. There wasn't hours of begging God and being loud and screaming and, you know, getting others to agree with you. And there's a place for all of that. I'm not demeaning that. But, but what that, if you're looking for a formula, that formula is not ask for stuff. It's ask for him because everything in the kingdom flows out of relationship with the king. Don't you delight in giving your children things they want, whether they ask for them or not? Isn't that what Christmas is? It's not necessarily what they asked for. It's what you saw they needed. Because of relationship, it delights you to take what is yours, the resource that you worked for, and get what they need with it and give them to it and see the look on their face. Well, if us, being the parents that we are, compared to the parent that God is, know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more? How much more is God just... Guys, he's the prize. He's what makes heaven heaven. He's what makes hell hell. The absence of God... You know, there's people that can endure great pain for, for decades, and it just becomes normal. Hell is not hell because of the pain. It's, hell is hell because of the lack of presence. After a million years, streets of gold will not be all that impressive. The crystal sea will be something we're very accustomed to seeing. It will not inspire awe beyond maybe the first week of heaven, right? Angels flying and beasts with wings and eyes all over their bodies crying holy. That's going to be awesome for maybe the first thousand years, but after 10,000 years, it'll be what we expect when we walk out of the door. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus. What makes hell hell is a lack of Jesus. Hear me. You want heaven to come to earth? You want the kingdom to come and his will to be done? It starts with the relationship that you are allowed to have with the king. That's a form of prayer. One hour, one day, one night, one lonely place that can change you and you can change the world. Such a blessing. Isn't it? Finding God in prayer. I love talking about this. So what do early in the morning and what do lonely places have in common? And the simple answer is this. It's, it's just simply not being disturbed. And Jesus teaches us the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, the preamble to the teaching we know as the Lord's Prayer. The preamble to that is this. Is, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. In other words, prayer is, and we can have public prayer. The Bible's filled with public prayers. But I'm talking about knowing God. It's best to know God sometimes by wandering off into the woods with your journal and your Bible and being still for a while and only, only writing what you hear, not, not writing your request. Then there's a time for that. But again, today's teaching is about knowing him, not getting his stuff. His stuff will come when you get him, but he is the priority, not his stuff. So here's, the, here's my last thought. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Interesting teaching on prayer. The, the temple of Solomon is being dedicated. He's talking about good things are happening, bad things are happening. But when bad things happen, he says this, when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, in interesting language, and pray, we get that one, and seek my face. So again, when God is speaking and Solomon is writing, there's something that's happening where he says there's something called prayer, petition. These are my requests. I'm asking you. We're agreeing on earth as it is in heaven, a nation's prayer, a congregation's prayer, a life group's prayer, a family's prayer, an individual's prayer. We're asking for something, but pray and seek my face. Seek my face. What's the difference between praying and seeking God's face? I think, I think simply put, I've already said it, but I'll say it again. I think prayer moves God. But seeking God's face moves the one who moves. And I say it another way. Prayer moves mountains, but seeking God's face moves the mountain mover. Very moving. 
my children on this day will send me a card. Uh, I have not seen these cards yet. I'll see them after service. I promise you JD's will be sarcastic and funny and Josh's will be somewhat serious with a couple underlying words. Why? Because JD's going to pick out his own card and Josh has a wife. <laughs> so she's going she's to pick out something nice and he's going to sign it and JD's going to pick out something sarcastic because we're, we're two puppies in a box that all bite each other. And uh, Now if Josh's card is sarcastic, I'll know that Josh bought the card, not Lauren. But, but in, this, in this understanding, um, boy, the, this... There's a relationship is what I'm trying to say. And in that relationship, more so than the card, more so than the, the gift card or the gift itself, if there are any, I just, I just want to have some time with my kids. More than anything else for Father's Day or Tuesday or Thursday or any day. That, you know, here, I, I baked you a cake, and he leaves it on the porch and leaves. I, I'm, I'll eat the cake, but really what I wanted was the baker. You know what I mean? Here, I, I fixed your car. I, I, that's great. I'll take the fixed car. But really what I wanted was, was to spend time with the mechanic who did the, the work, like, which is my son. So what I'm trying to say is this. It's relational. Prayer asks for what God has. Seeking God's face just simply asks for God. And I, and I want to close out our day with this, um, this thought. I'll put the remote control in my pocket so you know we're done as the music begins to play. But I, I learned about prayer as a, as a father in a way I'd never learned about prayer as a son. And if you're not a father yet, gentlemen, um, you will pray differently. You'll learn more about what it means, what God means when he says father than you ever knew before you had kids. But I, I remember Josh was about a week old. If you heard the story, don't tune me out because it's important. He was about a week old. Dina, uh, the birth was extraordinarily difficult. She almost died several times during the birthing process. And so she's recovering. And Josh, in the middle of the night, wakes up. He's, he's wet. He's hungry. Um, it's Christmas time. The lights are flashing. I assume that's disturbing to a one-week-old baby. Hear him cry. And Dina goes, oh, I, I got this one. Just You just heal. And I'm not, I'm not a hero. It was probably the only time I did it. But I, I got up. And I got the bottle out of the mic, out of the refrigerator. I put it in the microwave because we didn't know the microwaves then destroyed, you know, nutrition, uh, whatever. So I hit the button to the right thing that she had told me, and he's crying the whole time. And and this is I'll never forget it. Changed my whole understanding of prayer this one night. He was in a bassinet in the family room, and I, I hit the buttons. He's crying. I got, I got up. He's crying. I walked to the refrigerator. He's crying. I start hit the buttons. He's crying. Microwave's going. He's crying. I put my head over the side of the bassinet. And as soon as he saw my face, he stopped crying. Hear me. He still has needs. Diaper still has to be changed. A need hasn't been met. He's still hungry. It's still dark. The lights are still flashing. Not a, not a single need that woke him up and made him cry is met. But when he saw my face, he knew that my hands wouldn't be far behind. I remember feeding my son that night 29 years ago and the Holy Spirit just speaking to me like listen this is what it means to seek the face of God you, your needs whether they're met or not are met because you know that if you can see his face his hands will not be far behind and so I just say this to you today I just humbly submit this listen to me fathers mothers sons and daughters grandfathers grandmothers great grandfathers great granddaughters one of the greatest things that you can do on this Father's Day, one of the greatest things you can do is make a commitment just to know God. If we put a priority on our children's sports and we use things like mandatory, it's mandatory that you, but we make prayer optional. We put something on the throne of our life, on the throne of our schedule that just simply doesn't belong there. 
and it is enthroned state, its fruit will proceed in your life. And you do not want the fruit, the preeminent fruit of your life to be soccer, to be baseball, to be work, to be entertainment, to be hunting, to be fishing, to be Hallmark Channel. You want the preeminent fruit of your life to flow from the relationship that you have with your king. I challenge you to, to find a lonely place soon. I challenge you to get up early in the morning while it's still dark. I challenge you to give what is first, to give what is best, to know the one who is first and is best. I challenge you for a month to find that time every day with God. And at the end of that month, nothing's changed. You don't like it. It's still a discipline. Can't stand it. Then you go back to everything you're doing before. But I promise you that day one, as that sun starts rising and those birds are singing and the word of God is in your lap and the Holy Spirit meets you in that solitary, lonely, prayerful place, your life will be changed. And you will miss it on the days that for whatever reason you don't do it or can't do it. As we close today, I just simply say this. I challenge you to be a man or a woman of prayer. Not to move mountains, but to know the mountain mover challenge you today that if you're not right with him that in the closing moments of our time together you would say a simple prayer but it's the prayer that unleashes all the other prayers where you ask God for forgiveness God forgive me everything that separates your heart from my heart I want it gone I consider you more valuable than it I consider you preeminent and the priority I submit myself to the lordship of Jesus Christ I am tired of living my life my way with my rhythms my priorities and my mistakes and my consequences I just I can barely take it and I pray that right now you would erase all of my and begin to write all of your on my life Father I pray for those that have been with us today I ask you God to just move in their lives move in their lives I pray that the ministry of prayer would begin with a relationship with the king and the fruit of the kingdom will come. But let us begin, let us end with being nothing more than simply yours. So we give you our mornings, we give you our first, we give you our best. If we have appointments with doctors and chiropractors and nail beauticians and carpenters and, and uh, insurance and retirement and hair cutters and, and, you know, and all, all these things, but we don't have an appointment with you, we ask for your forgiveness because we've misplaced your priority in our lives. So we have a throne in our heart. Let everything now bow to the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, this is our last time, guys. The last time of me just talking to a camera. Um, from now on, I'll, the, the camera will always be here and we'll always have online stuff. But the next time we have this encounter, if you're watching online next week, There'll actually be people in the room. So God bless you. Take time between now and the next time we talk just to find a lonely place, a solitary place, uh, uh, an undisturbed time, and just find him. Don't ask for a thing. Sit still. Let God be God. We'll see you soon.